Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. If you're new, my name's Chad, and we are one church that meets in more than one location. Every single weekend, we have family meeting out in Stone Canyon and others who join us later online. So if you would, put your hands together, welcome them into our time of study here today. And before we get started in the message, a couple things I want to bring up, a couple things I want to say. The first is, congratulations to the Owasso Rams. State champs. How awesome is that? We are so proud of the team, the players, the coaching staff, the boosters, the parents, everybody involved, and especially our hometown for supporting them. We're just so proud to have the state champs here in Owasso, so that's great. I also want to mention uh, the Rejoice Eagles. They had a great season as well. You can give it up for them. Yeah. So two awesome teams this year. So proud of you guys. And then the other thing that I want to mention, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but... The Christmas season is here. The Christmas season has arrived. All you have to do is drive around town. You're going to see Christmas lights everywhere. Turn on the radio. You're going to hear Christmas music. If you had access to my bank account, you would know there's less money in it than normal. The Christmas season has definitely arrived. And there's a lot of things to be excited about this time of year. But for me, one thing that I'm definitely excited about is to get to launch our new Christmas series today, which we're calling Expect the Unexpected. Because we believe that Jesus' birth reminds us how God does unexpected things through unexpected people at unexpected times. The birth of Jesus reminds us how God does unexpected things at unexpected times through unexpected people. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. That's the journey that we're going to go on together, and I'm looking forward to it. And even though there's a lot to be excited about this time of year, and I love the Christmas season, I have to admit it's hard for me to believe that it's already here. And I say this every single year. We get to December and Christmas is here. It's like, wow, where did the year go? And I'm reminded every single year just how fast time flies. And there was a social media challenge going on on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram just a few weeks ago called the 10-Year Challenge that I think illustrated this truth, just how fast time flies. You guys may have seen this. I saw some of you guys participate in it. And basically the challenge was you would put up two pictures side by side, a picture of you from 2009, 10 years ago, and then a picture of you from 2019, and everybody could compare the differences between the two. Well, I didn't do this online, but I thought I would do it with you guys this morning. I feel close to you, so I thought I would share this with you, the change that I've gone through over the past 10 years. So I went back and I found a picture of Allison and me from 2009, and the one that we took just a few months ago, uh, actually back during the summertime of us. So here's the comparison, 2009 to 2019. This is our 10-year challenge. So this is Allison and me on a cruise 10 years ago. This is us now living in Oklahoma and I think there's some change there you can see some differences I don't know there's a whole lot we haven't changed that much Allison just gets more and more beautiful all the time had to throw that in there by the way but uh, there hasn't there's not that many differences I guess but I also asked some of our other staff members to participate in this 10-year challenge as well and I saw some major differences for example look at James Summers our next gen director this was him 10 years ago and this is he and Lydia now, and I don't know about you, but I think James looks like a high schooler in that picture. Now, he just looks like a kid, and look at him now. I saw a big difference between the two, and I laughed and laughed when I first saw that picture when he sent it to me. But the best staff change that has taken place for the past 10 years comes from two of our other staff members. Take a look at this comparison. Now, this is Matt Thomason, our executive minister, and Tim Tibbles, our worship minister. This was them 10 years ago. This is them now. Not much better, really, but this, 
is their comparison. And Tim, I have to say, I am loving the hair. That is great. Uh, you need to go back and try that again. That is just awesome. They were two of the youngest members on staff then. Now they're the old guys. So I like to throw that in there because they're both older than me. But still, uh, what a great comparison. That's just awesome, Tim. I love the hair. I'm not going to do it, but I love the hair. That's great. But you know, as I was going back through Facebook trying to find old pictures of Allison and me from 10 years ago, from 2009, something hit me. As I'm going back through all these pictures, taking a trip down memory lane, I thought, you know, most of the pictures that we put up online are of the good times. You know what I'm talking about? There are pictures of Allison and me smiling, or Allison and me hanging out with friends, doing fun stuff, and it's all the good times. There were very few pictures of the hard times, the difficult times, the bad times. Now, there are a few posts that we put up that I saw of we were having a rough day or whatever, but they were few and far between. The large majority of the pictures were of good times. And I think we did that, and you guys have probably done it too, because we as human beings are in the business of image management, and we like to put out the image that we want people to see. And sometimes we don't want people to see all of our flaws and mistakes and messes. We would rather paint ourselves in the best possible light. And that's often what we do on social media. If you don't believe me, why is it that when your family goes on vacation like to the beach and you take a family picture on the beach, why is it that you put the picture up for everybody to see where everyone's making eye contact, everybody's smiling, everybody looks tan, and the wind is blowing your hair, and you all have matching clothing on, and the sun is setting, and it's just the perfect image. How come you put that one up there and not the picture of 10 minutes before when the kids are fighting because they don't want to take the picture? How come you don't put that one up there? And the thing is the picture you end up putting up, if you're like my family, it probably took you 20 times just to get that shot, you know, to get all the kids to look at the camera right or whatever, and you put up the perfect pose because you want to paint yourself in the best possible light. You don't put up the picture of your family on the way to the beach, stuck in traffic, and the kids are fighting, throwing things in the back seat, dad's yelling at the car in front of him, honking his horn, mom's got her feet up on the dashboard trying to sleep. You don't put that picture up on Facebook or Instagram but you put the one on the beach that portrays yourself in the best possible light. We're experts at image management. I was in line at a store a couple days after Thanksgiving. They were having some specials going on. There were two teenage girls in front of me, and they were trying to take a selfie, and they probably took, I kid you not, 40 to 50 pictures. They just kept snapping pictures, and they would try to move around and take it from different angles and different lighting to try to get the best possible picture. They would turn the phone and do whatever. You stand on this side. No, you stand on that side. They just went back and forth trying to get the best possible picture, and when they finally got one they were both okay with, then they played around with it for a while, and I couldn't tell what they were doing and I wasn't trying to snoop and I wasn't trying to look at their phone or anything but I knew what they were doing they were trying to put a filter on it right to make themselves look even better than they actually do we're experts at image management and that's not just true for the pictures we put up on social media it's also true in life I imagine that every single one of us at some time or another we've projected a false image we've been pretenders We've tried to hide and cover up our mistakes, our flaws, our messes, so that no one can see who we really are. We've tried to mask our true identity and be something that we're not. I dare say we have all done that before. And here's the thing, you can try really hard to cover up your messes and hide them, but they're still there. You can cover them up, 
but our messes still remain until they're taken care of and here's the thing our messes left unchecked will continue to influence our lives will continue to negatively impact our lives to the point that eventually they start to poison our lives you can cover up messes but the messes still remain and that's why I love beautiful that's why I love the story of Jesus' birth because Jesus' birth is a promise it's a promise of hope in the midst of hopelessness and here's the thing that promise of hope in the midst of hopelessness was given given by God to the world hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born hundreds of years before Mary and Joseph were engaged or ever went to Bethlehem it was given by the prophet Isaiah God gave it to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 and look at what the scripture says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse that's an interesting phrase interesting illustration there the stump of Jesse hang on to that from his roots apparently this shoot will be a person right from his roots a branch will bear fruit now this is kind of an odd obscure verse isn't it this is not the typical verse that we read this time of year and it's kind of tucked away in the Old Testament and we forget about it. You're probably wondering, where am I going with this? But hang with me because there's a powerful truth here. From his roots, this is a person, a family here, a branch will come. This is a person who will change this stump of Jesse. And if you'll hang with me, I think this truth will be life-changing. See, Alice and I, we have an ongoing conversation every single year, and I'm going to call it a conversation, not, not a debate. It's more of a conversation, more of a discussion, because it never really gets heated. We don't get mad at one another or anything like that, but we have a conversation every single year about our Christmas tree because I was brought up, uh, I was brought up being taught that you put your Christmas tree out after Thanksgiving, not before. That was my mom's you know, policy. That's what we did as a family. You waited till the day after Thanksgiving and then you would set the tree up and decorate it and have all that fun time as a family. That's what we did the day after Thanksgiving. And you were not to put the Christmas tree up prior to that. It was too early. Allison, on the other hand, she doesn't believe that. If it was up to her, she would put our Christmas tree up the day after the 4th of July. I mean, she might even keep it up all year long. She loves having the Christmas tree out and she would have it out all the time. And so we have this ongoing discussion ongoing conversation about when to put our tree up she normally wins by the way but let me ask you guys let's take a quick poll if you would raise your hands at all of our campuses how many of you guys put your tree up prior to Thanksgiving day this year let me see all right a good number of you several of you awesome okay how many of you guys waited till after Thanksgiving to put your tree up all right, God's people right here. Love you guys. My type of people, I'm with you. It's a lot more in this service that I actually put up after Thanksgiving. That's awesome. Well, I have with me on stage a Christmas tree. This is a pretty cool tree. In my family, we typically put up an artificial tree. I know, don't get mad at me. Some of you guys are like tree purists. You got to put up a real one. But we put up an artificial tree every single year. But this one isn't an artificial tree. It wasn't manufactured in a factory somewhere. This is the real deal. It's a Douglas fir, and it's beautiful, and it smells great. If you were up here with me, you could smell it. I mean, it's an awesome-looking tree. And here's the thing. Because this tree wasn't manufactured in a factory somewhere, you could actually find one of these trees out of nature. You could be walking outside, and you could come across an evergreen tree just like this one. 
And if you and I were taking a walk outside and we came across a tree like this and we stopped and we looked at it and I turned to you and I said, what does this tree represent to you? What, what does this tree mean to you? I wonder what you would say. I would tell you what I think of when I see this tree. When I, this tree, when I see this tree, what comes to mind for me is life and growth. Because you guys know this, and every green tree like this, if it's healthy, it will continue to grow all the days of its life. It will just get bigger and bigger. Its branches will get stronger. It will just grow larger and larger over time. And the thing is, because it's an evergreen tree, it will be green year-round, which is a sign of life. That's what I see. When I see a tree like this, I see life. I see growth. But I wonder if you and I were walking outside and we came across this, if you would think the same thing. This is a stump. If you came across a stump like this out in the wild, would you think of life? I wouldn't. See, when I see a stump, I see death. I see a place where a tree once was but is no longer. See, when you see a stump, it means something has happened, an event has taken place to end the life of this tree. And now, this tree's potential, it's over. It's life, it's done. You don't walk by a stump and water it and think, hey, one day another tree will grow from this stump just as beautiful as the one that was once there. You don't think that. You don't fertilize a stump. You don't hope that one day another tree will exist in this exact spot where the stump now is. No, a stump means that something has happened to end the life of the tree. Let me put it this way. A stump is something that once was but is no longer. So if you see a stump out in the wild, if it's big enough, you can sit on it, prop your foot up on it or something. A little one like this, most of the time people just dig them up and get them out of the way because they are in the way. But you definitely don't see life. And I think that's interesting because Isaiah uses the image of a stump to describe the family of Jesse. And Isaiah 11 verse 1 again refers to as the stump of Jesse. And obviously this is a reference to Jesse's family tree. Now, when I think of a family tree, I don't think of a stump. I think of a tree with branches, don't you? And I don't know if you're embarrassed by your family tree, if you're proud of your family tree, if you're indifferent to your family tree. It doesn't matter. When you hear the phrase family tree, normally what comes to mind isn't a stump. In fact, I Googled the term family tree just the other day, and this was the first image that popped up on Google. You can tell it's a tree that has branches, that is growing, right? It's getting bigger all the time. That's what we think of when we picture a family tree and I looked at the next 50 or so pictures that Google provided for family tree and none of them were a picture of a stump because that's not what comes to mind and the fact that God through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 11:1 1, says that the family line of Jesse has become a stump the fact that he uses that imagery to describe the family line of Jesse lets me know something something has gone terribly wrong in this family something isn't right something has gone really really bad and what's interesting is in Matthew chapter 1 the very start of the New Testament we get a hint of what went wrong we get a hint of what went bad 
See, Matthew was one of Jesus' original disciples. And Matthew got to spend three years with Jesus, following him, learning from him. He knew Jesus extremely well. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, God commissioned and inspired him. You guys know who Cousin Eddie is, right, from Christmas Vacation? Anybody like the movie Christmas Vacation? Okay, yeah, we got some fans of Christmas Vacation. Is my dad's favorite movie. You know, just a week and a half or so ago, I was back in Kentucky for Thanksgiving, and I'm sitting there with my dad, and he's flipping through the channels. Christmas Vacation is on one of the channels, and he started watching. I was like, Dad, you've seen this movie a hundred times. It doesn't matter. He loves it. He watches it this time of year. But we understand this, right? I mean, let me just see by show of hands again in all of our campuses, how many of you guys have a Cousin Eddie or maybe multiple Cousin Eddies in your family? Anybody? Okay, don't point. Just raise your hand. I don't have to point at somebody saying next to you. That's embarrassing. Anyway, you're like, but they embarrass me, so I'll point them out. Okay, anyway, we all have Cousin Eddie's, right? And so what ancient Jews would do is they would take these names out, just skip over them to make their family look better. But here's the interesting thing. When Matthew gives us the genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't take any names out. He doesn't edit anybody out. He tells us exactly who's in Jesus' family tree. And spoiler alert, there's some pretty embarrassing people in history. Let's read and see who Matthew includes, because I think it's important for us to pay attention to who's in Jesus' family tree. Matthew begins like this. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, isn't that an awesome name? I'd like to be called Ram, go Rams, go Owasso, right? Isn't that a cool name, by the way? You name your first son Ram, name the second son Billy Goat. It works, so how cool would that be? Okay, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of, we're just going to call him Bob, and Bob the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now this isn't where the family tree of Jesus ends. It keeps going, and we could read on, and basically... The rest of the family tree is just the kings that follow after uh, David and Solomon who ruled over Israel because, again, this family line is the kingly line of Israel. But I want you to notice a name here, Jesse. See, you remember that Isaiah 11 passage, the stump of Jesse? Jesse's family tree is also Jesus' family tree. That's important. Hang on to that. Now, you might be thinking, why in the world would Matthew start off Jesus' story like this? In fact, a lot of people in the first century might have been wondering that too because Jews, they knew their history very well and they would have recognized all these names. And it's not just that they would have recognized the names, they would have known the stories, the life stories behind all these people. And they would have known right away there are some colorful characters in this passage. Not only that, there may have been some people on this day and age that would have said, God consist in Jesus' family tree. Now that might make you feel uncomfortable, but we're told that for a reason. Let me ask, have you ever in a moment of desperation, in a moment of self-preservation, done something that you have regretted for years later? 
I have. And I bet you have too. And that's Tamar's story. And yet she is included in the family tree of Jesus. The next woman that's mentioned, her story isn't much better. You may have heard of her if you studied your Old Testament. Her name is Rahab. And Rahab, before she met God, she was a prostitute. That's what she did for a living. Now, Tamar just practiced it on an occasion in order to make a point, but not Rahab. Rahab was a full-fledged prostitute. It's what she did for a living. Not only that, she ran a house of prostitution. And yet she is also in the family tree of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Rahab changed. God changed her, and she left that old life. But you know that for the rest of her life, people gossiped about her. They whisper about her, and they would say things like, do you know what she used to do? Do you know who she really is? And let me ask, do you have secrets in your past that you wish you could erase? Do you have secrets in your past that people still whisper about? Do you have secrets in your past that you wish would just go away? That's Rahab's story. I have secrets like that. And it brings me great comfort that Rahab is in the family tree of Jesus. The next woman that's mentioned here is a woman named Ruth. And Ruth didn't have the sexually immoral past that these other two ladies had. But Ruth's story is just a scandalous. See, Ruth was not a Jew. She was from the country of Moab, but she married a man who was a Jew. She married a man named Boaz, and Boaz was a devout, faithful Jew. And in this culture, Jews did not marry outside of their bloodline. That was a cultural no-no. That was considered an embarrassment to your family. So when Ruth, a non-Jew, a woman from Moab, marries a devout Jew, Boaz, I bet your people talked. I bet there was a lot of gossip said about her. I bet you this embarrassed some people greatly. And let me ask, have you ever been inappropriately judged because of your racial background? Because of your cultural background? Because of your social background? Because of your economic background? Have you ever been made to feel like an outsider for any reason whatsoever? I have. And I bet you have too. That was Ruth's story. And she's included in the family tree of Jesus. Now there's another woman who's mentioned in the family tree of Jesus by Matthew. But this woman, well, Matthew doesn't list her name. Her name is Bathsheba. You may have heard of her if you've studied the life of David, King David. But he actually doesn't mention Bathsheba by name. Instead, look at how David lists Bathsheba. He says, and Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been... Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah's wife, that's Bathsheba. But why doesn't he use her name? Why does he say it like that? Had been Uriah's wife. Because I think what Matthew is doing here is he's dropping a hint about what David did. You see, he's dropping a hint to one of the most embarrassing moments in the life of David and one of the most embarrassing moments in the history of Israel. Because David was the greatest king who ever lived in Israel's history. And David was known for being a man after God's own heart. But one lonely night, David pursued another man's wife. Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Side note, a bored man is a dangerous man. A lonely man is a dangerous man. And that was David's situation. 
He pursues another man's wife, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and to cover up his sin, you know what he does? He has her husband killed, murdered. He's the king. He can do that. And David's family is messed up from here on out, and he has to live with some very real consequences because of his sin. And let me ask, have you had to live with some very real consequences because of past sin? Consequences that continue to affect your life and influence your life? I've been there. And I bet you have too. That was David's story. And he's included in the family tree of Jesus. Now there are a few other men that are mentioned. You know, we talked about these women, but a few other men that are mentioned. You may recognize their names. Let me go through them quickly. Abraham is another man that's mentioned in the family tree of Jesus. And Abraham was a godly man. He's a father of the nation of Israel. But he and his wife Sarah, they grew impatient waiting on God because God had promised Abraham, if you go on to the next screen, God had promised Abraham that he and Sarah would have a child together. And so they waited and they waited and they waited and they didn't have this child, at least not within the time frame they wanted to have the child. And so Sarah comes up with a new plan. Sarah says, hey, Abraham, why don't you go sleep with my servant, get her pregnant, then we'll adopt the child. And Abraham's dumb enough to do it. So he goes and he sleeps with Sarah's servant. They have have this child and it just complicates everything and again it leads to a ton of family strife and turmoil and dysfunction but let me ask you have you ever grown impatient with God and you've been tired of waiting on God and his plan and so you've hijacked God's plan and come up with your own plan I hate to admit it but I have on more than one occasion and I bet you have to. That was Abraham's story. And he's included in the family tree of Jesus. What about Abraham's grandson, Jacob? Jacob was known for being a notorious liar and deceiver. He was a cheat. He was so bad that he cheated his own brother out of his brother's blessing from their father. I mean, when you're going to cheat your own family, that's pretty low, isn't it? But again, let me ask. Have you ever selfishly used someone else in order to get what you want? I hate to admit it, but I have. I bet you have too. That was Jacob's story. And he's included in the family tree of Jesus. One more name I want to mention. I can mention a whole lot more, but one more name I want to mention is the name Manasseh. Manasseh actually wasn't mentioned in the passage that we looked at earlier. Manasseh is on down the list when uh, Matthew lists some of the kings that came after David and Solomon. But Manasseh was an evil king, very evil dude. Uh, and he ended up leading the whole nation away from God. And he worshipped false gods and idols. And so let me ask, have you ever pursued a false god? you ever worshipped a false god? I'm not talking about a little idol, a little statue. Have you ever pursued the god of greed? God of sex, of pleasure, the God of popularity, the God of success, you name it. You ever pursued a false God? You ever put somebody else in the place that only God deserves? I have. And I bet you have too. That's Manasseh's story. And he's included in the family tree of Jesus. Now, 
This may seem like an odd way to introduce Jesus to the world, to list all these people, to give this family tree. But I'm glad Matthew introduces us to Jesus in this way. You know why? Because I'm glad Matthew didn't start off Jesus' story with the line that we've seen in other stories, the line, once upon a time. Because here's the thing, Jesus wasn't born into a fairy tale. And Jesus didn't live a fairy tale life. His story isn't a fairy tale. Jesus was born in a very real point in history. Jesus was born to real people. Jesus was born to make a real difference. And I love the fact that Jesus was born into a very real world in order to reach people in a very real way in a very real point in history. I love that. Because if Jesus had been born to just a bunch of perfect people who, by the way, don't exist, that wouldn't help me out at all. Jesus came to deal with real problems and real issues. And here's the thing. At the moment that he entered the world, the nation of Israel was distraught. They were on the verge of hopelessness because there hadn't been a king sitting on the throne of Israel in 600 years. Not only that, God hadn't spoken to the people in over 400 years. They were on the verge of hopelessness and despair. And right at the moment when they were getting ready to give up, God comes on the scene, and there's a reason why he did. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, because God promised a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, meaning I'm not done with the stump of Jesse. It may look like everything is over. The situation may look hopeless. But God is a God who can bring life from a stump. And here's the thing. We find out later as we read on that this shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse is a person. It's a child. We call him Jesus. And Isaiah chapter 11 is a promise that a king would come into this broken and dysfunctional world in order to pick up the pieces of it and put it back together to make something beautiful again. That's why Jesus says of himself in John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus came to be light in the midst of darkness, to be life in the midst of death, to be a shoot on an old dead stump. And what that means for us, what that means for you, is that Jesus was born for you. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what life situation you're in right now, but if you think your life is beyond repair, it's not. Jesus came to breathe life back into you. I once heard somebody say that Jesus came from a mess and was born into a mess in order to save us from our mess. And the story of Jesus' birth is this. God isn't finished with you. Your life is not beyond repair. God isn't finished writing your story yet. I remember I preached on the genealogy of Jesus years ago at the last church I served, and a man walked up to me, and he let me know that Jesus' story had nothing on his family history. <laughs> He said, I just want to let you know something about my past. And he went through and he told me about abuse and uh, drug issues and sexual issues and all this kind of stuff that went on in his family's past. And he said, everybody expected for me to just follow suit, for me to just follow the pattern of my family. He said, and I thought for a long time I would too. And I'm listening to this guy tell this, and I was kind of shocked because I knew this guy, and I would have never guessed that. Because this guy was a godly man who was setting a great example for people and loved his family, had a great family and all that kind of stuff. And I would have never guessed that he had that background. And then he looked at me and he said, you know why 
I didn't follow the path of the rest of my family because I'm the only one in my family who was ever willing to open up his life to Jesus. And Jesus took my nothing of a life and turned it into something. What's interesting is this man, his wife had had some health issues that had left her physically handicapped and he was her caregiver. He took care of her and he sacrificed for her so she could have a good life. And I remember his wife telling me one time, long before I ever knew anything about his family history, he said, you won't find a better man than my husband. Why was he such a godly example? Why was he such a loving guy? Why is he making such a difference in other people's lives? Because Jesus can turn, can turn nothing into something. His words. Jesus can breathe life into a stump. And he can do that for you today as well. I made the comment or mentioned that I was back with family a week and a half or so ago for Thanksgiving. And here's a picture of me with uh, my side of the family. Uh, this is, of course, Allison taking the selfie. She's right up close because she's the one taking it. But then this is my brother and his wife and their son. This is my mom and dad. By the way, that is my dad's smile. That's how he takes pictures. He just doesn't smile in pictures typically. When we get him to smile, it's a big deal. And so we took a bunch of pictures trying to get all the kids looking, and that's what he looked like in every single one of them. It's the best we got. And then that's my mom and then my two kids over here on the side. And you can't see it real well because on this screen it's cut off. But if you look at the original picture that I took, you can kind of see my son's thumb there just a little bit. And what my son is doing is he's making this sign, which is not a gang sign. Don't worry about my kid. Uh, it means L's down because we had just played Kentucky and football had just played Louisville, our arch rival that way. And the Louisville fans always put L's up, so we do L's down. And you guys get that because you guys do horns down. I've seen you do it. So uh, we do L's down. And you may say that's not appropriate or whatever. I'm just trying to get out to stop doing it but that's a whole different story but when I saw this picture when you look at the original you can see it more plain of Alex doing L's down I asked him I said buddy why'd you do that we were taking a family picture and now the only picture we got is you doing L's down and he looked at me he said because daddy I'm part of the big blue nation too and what he meant was I'm part of a bigger family the Kentucky family we call ourselves the big blue nation that's what he was letting me know and you know when I thought back on that I thought what he's trying to do is give you what he's trying to do is give you a symbol to let him know he's part of something bigger. Guys, that's what this is for me. That's what a Christmas tree is for me. You got some people who don't like Christmas trees who won't put them out. Some people just they won't put them out because they hate Christmas. Other people who are Christians won't put a tree out because they think it's like a pagan symbol or something. And we can argue about that all day long. I don't really care. But the reason or what I see when I put out a tree, the reason why I put a tree out is because it reminds me of Jesus' family tree. It's a symbol that I'm part of a family that is so much bigger than me, a family of misfits who messed up their lives, but who God got a hold of and breathed life back into. Every time I look at a Christmas tree, I think of the family tree of Jesus and realize as much as I don't deserve it, I have a place in his family tree. That's what Christmas means to me. It means that my life doesn't have to be represented by this anymore. This can now be what my life is all about. And the same can be true for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today and this chance we've had to open up your word and study it. 
And Father, I just pray that we will always remember you are the God who can breathe life into a stump. May we never think that our lives are beyond repair, that we will always be in the state of life we're in right now. You're not done rewriting our story. Jesus came to give us a fresh start. May we turn to him for that new life every single day. In his name, Christ Jesus, I pray, amen.